Well, actually, it's brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real-time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. You know that UFC 245 event that is coming up? The one with not one, not two, but three title fights? The one with six different fighters who either are or have been UFC champions? Yeah, you can find tickets for that one on GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Okay, I'm just gonna level with you here. I absolutely hate making lists like best of all time, best of the decade, or even just best of the week. I just think these things are very subjective, no matter how fact-oriented you want them to be. And here's the thing about subjective opinions. People who hold these opinions tend to see them as, in fact, objective. And they often get angry when their very objective opinions don't mirror the inferior, the lesser opinions of others. Maybe I'm a little scarred by all those years reading comment sections in the list that I did for MMA Junkie. Yeah, there is that possibility. But in general, I guess just the whole conversation kind of bores me a little bit. And also, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of an emotionally unstable person. That means I'm a little volatile. And a list of best of whatever will look entirely different depending on whatever weird shit is going on in my brain that day. So after trashing lists and letting you know that I'm not interested in reading, making, or having anything to do with them, I present you a list that I made. Yay! I'm sure you're looking very much forward to listening to it now. But uh, for real, the decade is ending and somehow we haven't entirely managed to ruin the earth and make it unlivable yet. So I guess that is cause for a celebration. And today, here, we're celebrating with a list of my favorite fighters of the past 10 years. They're listed in no particular order. This isn't a ranking system by any means. I just picked five and I'll do what I do and say some stuff about them. Also, I'd like to draw attention to the term that I'm using here, okay, which is favorite fighters. That means I am not choosing the best of anything. I am not claiming that I have the tools to make these calls. I'm choosing the ones that for one reason or another, I just like best. That doesn't necessarily have to do with titles. That doesn't necessarily have to do with results. I use my own criteria which I'll try to explain as best as I can, because that's what I'm here to do. But again, it's entirely subjective. So please, I beg you, do not try to debate me on it. Don't be mean to me about it. Let me do me, and you do you, boo. Live and let live. I'm starting with Chris Cyborg because it might be a bit of a predictable one for me. After all, she was the first episode of this podcast. And if you have about 15 minutes to spare, you can just go there, listen, and you'll see why I admire her. Ah, admire. Yes, I did use that word. I usually have some pause about using it because I think people sort of understand it as, I think this person is perfect and I'm giving them a pass to do whatever they want to do. That is not the case here. Cyborg has made mistakes. She has even like a doping-related suspension on her record. But I just happen to think that she has been consistently such a massive force in women's MMA in so many different ways. 
There's the literal way. Literal. Literal. Words are hard, guys. Literal way, right? Uh, she lost her MMA debut to Erika Pais back in 2005. And from then on, she just won a lot. She basically stayed undefeated until Amanda Nunes beat her just last year. And Cyborg made it look easy. She got belts to Strike Force and Evicta, and against all odds, in the UFC. I mean, for a while there, the relationship got so rocky between Cyborg and the UFC that it seemed like it was an absolute impossibility that she would ever even make it up there, let alone have them basically start a whole new division around her. The fact that they would be this willing to meet her halfway, despite the shaky history, was, to me, such a testament to her importance and to her relevance in the sport. They were well aware of her value because she built that value for herself. She built a huge fan base which she constantly tries to involve and engage and she's used her platform to address very important issues. One of them, which is close to my heart, is bullying. I was a very bullied kid, in case you can't tell by my entire personality. And seeing Cyborg get so much abuse, it's just... And that's the only word that I can think of to describe it. Because if you look at the language and the way that women are treated in the sport to this day, you can only imagine the type of stuff that Cyborg was reading and listening to 10 years ago. And she just kept going and used all this visibility that she got by just doing a tremendous work to speak up against that. And another remarkable thing, I guess, is that Cyborg always stood up for herself. And she dared to name her prices and establish her limits and boundaries. And really, that's something admirable, both because the sport isn't really set up in a way to encourage fighters to do that, but also because the world is not exactly set up in a way to encourage women to do that. So yeah, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on Cyborg's trajectory, there's a full episode out there about it. Like I said, my very first one. But this is why she made the list here. My second name on the list, again, no order of preference, is José Aldo. And yes, while we're at it, it's José, not José. He's Brazilian, and we pronounce it with the ch. Just wanted to get that out there. So, Aldo. I mean, don't get me wrong. Max Holloway is the shit. He's an amazing fighter, also seems like a super cool dude, and there's really no question that he beat Aldo twice. Very, extremely convincingly. I think Holloway has a very good chance of going down as one of the all-time greats. But when we had to do our collective list of the best fighter in each division, and we put it to a vote, I had no question about picking Aldo. I know, I know I'm going to get accused of being a homer here, of being biased. I've covered Aldo for so many years, and because we were low on Brazilian champions for a while, at times I felt like my Brazilian beat covering MMA was basically the Aldo beat. And I guess that's fair for people to think that, that maybe I am a little biased. But I guess that's also the beauty of having my own list. But I have arguments too. Looking at the first half of Aldo's decade, right? He started it by defending the WEC bout that he had taken late in 2009. He did it against none other than Uriah Faber. And I might have the image of how Faber's leg look at, looked like afterward permanently etched to my brain. Aldo defended that belt again before taking his 11-fight unbeaten run to the UFC. By that point, Aldo had lost only once in his entire career. So Aldo makes it to the UFC and he beats 
Mark Hominick, Kenny Florian, Chad Mendes, Frankie Edgar, the Korean zombie, I am not going to try to say his name, Ricardo Lamas, and then Chad Mendes again in what was, by the way, a very insane fight. All the while, Aldo did it very impressively, and I've always just been really a big fan of his style. I think even when people sort of question his ability to pull the trigger, Aldo was still very aggressive, but he was also very intelligent in his approach. I, again, might be biased because I got to watch a lot of his fights live and the whole experience is very different, but I just can't remember ever being bored watching him fight. I think, honestly, the first time that might have happened must have been in his most recent one, which ended in a unanimous decision loss to Alex Volkanovsky. But going back to before that, Aldo lost his title in the middle of the decade. I mean, I can just say 13 seconds and you'll know exactly what I mean. He got knocked out by Conor McGregor and we all know what happened there, but I am impressed by what followed. I think there's this idea that after losing a title, especially in somewhat traumatic fashion, the person can get a little quote-unquote broken. And it's tricky, but I do think what might just happen is it has to be a blow to your confidence, right? And in in Aldo's case, you're thinking about a guy who hadn't lost in forever, and then to lose like that in a way that became so public and just kind of cruel in terms of what it did and the doubt that it cast on his legacy... A mentally weaker person could have easily cracked, but Aldo came back against Frankie Edgar the following year, and he got the title back after McGregor got stripped, in yet another super impressive performance. Of course, those two fights with Holloway followed, but Aldo bounced back once again, with two performance of the night bonuses in a row. I just think that we talk a lot about how much of this game is mental, and I think Aldo has an iron will. And the record that he put together against the level of people that he fought and the way that he did it, he's an all-time great already. I obviously have a bit of a tough time completely dismissing the outside the cage factor too. And Aldo has such a powerful trajectory. When we talk self-made men, look no further than him. Aldo showed up in Rio de Janeiro after moving from the north of Brazil with no money, no guarantees, no nothing. He was fortunate enough to find Ade Pederneiras, who became his coach and almost father in a way, but so much of it was just Aldo's effort, his focus, his dedication. Then he became champion, and he had a big feature movie made about him, and he became one of the top stars in Brazil across all sports. It's been just a very, very impressive road for him. And the coolest part is that it hasn't changed him. He still just likes to play video games and watch Flamengo play and hang out with his wife and daughter. Aldo will go out of his way to greet you and ask you about your life. And you just can't find that many fighters who have been at the top for this long and who you can look at the headlines and stories involving them and you'll still find no controversies, no getting in trouble, no run-ins with the law. Aldo is one of those guys. And he, to me, was a no-brainer here. My third person, just so you don't accuse me of only going with Brazilians, is Daniel Cormier. I almost don't even want to make my case here because I feel like it's almost offensive that I have to explain why Daniel Cormier is one of my favorite fighters of the decade. Like, just open a topology page and look at it. Just Google his name. But because I'm nice, I will explain Also, because context is kind of the job that they pay me to do. 
Cormier started his decade at Strikeforce, where he became the heavyweight tournament champion in 2012, and then he made his way to the UFC in early 2013. We know what happened there. Cormier went down to the light heavyweight division and got a title shot against Joan Jones eventually. Cormier lost to Jones, and he would go on to lose to him again. But even those chapters with Jones, to me, just add to the amazing Cormier file. I mean, look at the history of sports, like all sports. Rivalries are such a big part of them. They add such depth and complexity to the whole thing. And I think the Cormier-Jones rivalry specifically is certainly one of the, if not the, most complex and intriguing rivalries in the history of MMA. But beyond that, Cormier's results speak for themselves. After that loss to Jones, he went on to take the vacant belt over Anthony Johnson, and he wouldn't lose again until, of course, Jones beat him again at UFC 214. Though, officially, Jones didn't beat him that night. That bout was overturned because of a doping infraction, and it became a no contest. Cormier did, guess what? Some more winning after that, including the massive knockout of Stipe Miocic that made him a double UFC champion. Cormier has since lost to Miocic again, but there's really no taking away from what he accomplished. And Cormier is, mind you, 40. That's not real life old by any means, and not necessarily fight old either, but it's getting there. So it's just very impressive that, coming off his wrestling career, Cormier was able to make such a successful transition and put together such amazing runs in two different divisions. That would have been awesome enough by itself, but Cormier managed to do that while being just an overall great example and just an overall amazing guy. He coaches kids, he makes funny videos, he's also a commentator, and you can see he's just always super thoughtful and open and available, really, when it comes to talking to media or fans. So, just a pro. A pro through and through. I don't always like the good example type speech. I find it a little antiquated, but it's hard to deny that it applies to Cormier. I'm sure he inspires a lot of kids, and that is no small feat. That's actually pretty powerful. Unlike other people on this list, I do not know Cormier personally. I have only interviewed him once, but here's my one in-person Cormier memory. I did a media workout in Las Vegas once, so many years ago. I don't even remember, but maybe 2013. They do these, like, the fighters would have little workout stations, and we would just do whatever they told us to do. So... Cormier obviously had the wrestling station and he had us doing what seemed like very basic drills, like walking around a certain way. It didn't really seem that intense just looking at it. And at the time I was ready doing Muay Thai. So I really, I, I was very much convinced I was in shape, except I, I was not, I was not friends. Long story short, I couldn't walk upstairs for a full five days. Like, if I required my thighs for any type of movement, I would be instantly reminded of Daniel Cormier. I legit hated him for about a month or two after that. But I am a very generous and magnanimous person, and I have since let go of the grudge. So Cormier gets a spot on my list. Now, uh, this one I know I'm going to get some shit for. But even if you do take issue with my next pick, I would like to remind you that I do not care about your opinion and that this is my list. So, I am adding Damian Maya to it. Yay! Okay, Maya was never champion. And yes, he was just on a three-fight losing skid not that long ago. And yes, I realized that a not a lot of people immediately go to him when they think of all-time greats. I mean, 
all-time great grapplers in MMA is a different story. But yeah, I do understand that this is a bit of a unique pick. But that's why I wanted to make it clear that I'm not just going by results here. And even if I were, it's not like Maya doesn't have them. He has, in fact, had two UFC title shots this decade. The first, of course, was that infamous Anderson Silva fight in Abu Dhabi in April of 2010. That was a weird one, as you may recall. Silva basically goofed around and kind of painted a less than flattering picture of himself against Damien. As you can imagine, considering that was very much the height of Anderson Silva, Damien was a massive underdog. But even though he lost, he still managed to make it to the decision. Interestingly enough, I recently interviewed Maya and I asked him about that fight and he said that he was actually grateful for it. He was way pissed at first, make no mistake, but yeah, later, hindsight and all that stuff. He believes that even though things didn't happen quite like he wanted them to, it was the fight that got him noticed and that got him noticed in a positive light as well. And it also gave him some confidence because he felt understandably, that he was able to hang with one of the most feared strikers of all time. Maya didn't have the best stretch after that, but then he made a very wise career move. He went down from middleweight to welterweight and began rebuilding once more. And that is the operative word for me when it comes to Maya. He rebuilds. He starts over. He's been counted out so many times, or just dismissed as this guy who is always going to be the bridesmaid, never the bride, but he basically refused to believe that about himself. After back-to-back losses to Rory McDonald and Jake Shields, Maya was once more in that spot in 2014, and what did he do? He just put together a seven-fight winning streak like it was no big deal. And I'll just name the last people on that streak. Gunnar Nelson, Matt Brown, Carlos Condit, and the BMF himself, Jorge Masvidal. Maya finished both Condit and Brown with rear naked chokes. And though Condit is currently on quite a big slump, at the time he was just coming off a title barn burner against Robbie Lawler that he narrowly lost via split decision. So yeah. Maya went to work in 2016 and 2017, and then suddenly there was quite a lot of public support behind him and the idea of him getting a title shot. Maya eventually got it and lost it, and then he lost his following too. But here are the guys that he lost to. Tyron Woodley, who was obviously then the champion, Colby Covington, and Kamaru Usman. Yeah, you might have heard of these guys. And then... After that, Maya got back to winning. He's now at 22, living yet another career resurgence with three wins in a row, including a submission of none other than fellow grappling ace Ben Askren. So yeah, there are some losses in there, but I think it's pretty safe to say that Maya has had a pretty solid decade. And all the while, look at all these people that he fought and try to find beef. Like, seriously. Try to find a person who was able to stir shit up with Maya. You won't. Not even Kobe freaking Covington managed. Sure, Kobe pissed off the rest of the country, but if you ask Maya, he'll tell you he's got no animosity toward the guy. And I do know because I did ask. And the cool thing about Maya's niceness is that it's not just a routine. I mean, who could keep up that act for that long, right? He just truly deeply believes in martial arts. He believes in defending it. 
He believes in representing it. He believes in sharing it. He believes in using his story and his platform to reach other people. And he doesn't just talk about it. He does it. He acts on it. He speaks to children in schools and underserved communities. He told me he's got book plans in the works. He truly is invested in contributing to something that is bigger than himself. So why shouldn't he be on this list? Because he hasn't held a belt? Hmm. I just think there are more important things than that. This next one I save for last because I also think that the reactions might be a little interesting. I have picked Ronda Rousey. The thing with Rousey, I think, is that the way she left MMA was so traumatic that it caused a lot of people to forget what she helped do for it. And when I talk about the traumatic way that she left, I don't mean just in terms of results. Rousey and MMA had a bad breakup. She wanted nothing to do with us. She was very clear about that. Basically, Rousey was a sore loser, like next level sore loser. But the thing is, I kind of like sore losers. I like people who wear their hearts on their sleeves. And that was actually the thing that first got me interested in Rousey. We already knew she was a sore loser. We'd already seen it in the Ultimate Fighter season that she coached with Misha Tate. We had seen it in the way that she talked about her frustrations with her previous career in judo. Rousey was basically raised to be the super champion winner person. And it was very clear that she would take nothing less than that. I was not at all surprised that those brutal losses to Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes had that effect on her. I'm just surprised that anyone else was surprised. They really missed the signs there, didn't they? And speaking of Holm and Nunes, the two became known as the women who really, quote-unquote, exposed Rousey, right? When Rousey lost, all of those people came out of the woodwork to say that they knew it all along, that her striking was garbage, that it was a matter of time, really, yada, yada, yada. I am so over this revisionism. The fact is that when Rousey fought home, she was not only unbeaten, but she had finished all of her opponents. Tate had been the only one who had made it out of the first round. If everyone was so sure that all it would take to beat her was good striking, then why was she such an enormous, massive, huge, overwhelming favorite against a former boxer in Holly Holm? Just... Seriously, spare me the bullshit. But other than that, Rousey's public persona to me has always represented something else entirely. Some people, because Rousey cried and, you know, let's face it, acted like a goddamn fool sometimes, they thought that it made her look weak. And I always thought that it was the complete opposite. I thought that it made her look so strong and so awesome. I'd see Ronda Rousey just being unapologetically her, and sometimes that meant being nice and warm and smiley, and sometimes that meant being kind of a bitch. And I love that, because it was real. I could relate to it. That's how most of us are, though I am mainly just a bitch. But it was cool, because the way Rousey carried herself defied the way that people wanted her to carry herself. Rousey has that image, right, with the blonde hair and the perfect teeth, and she very much matched visually society's idea of how a woman should be. But her behavior didn't. Not a lot of the time, anyway. And the same people who would later praise guys like Conor McGregor for being so confident, of course, were often the same people that bashed Rousey's, here's the word, arrogance. 
I, for one, loved it. She was a UFC champion, an Olympic. She had an Olympic medal. How many people had that? She had that. And she had earned every drop of her attitude. Then, of course, she was no longer the champion and she was miserable about it. And the emotion police stepped in, this time to take umbrage with her desolation. Because God forbid that a human person has human reactions in front of everyone, right? Oh, but this other person was super gracious in defeat. Look at them. Well, true, but I would argue that people are different from each other. And I don't know that maybe that's all the way okay. Again, this is not me saying that Rousey is perfect. She actually said some very questionable things outside the cage. And of course, she could have handled the end of her MMA career differently, but she didn't. She handled it the way she handled it. And after so many years of serving as this canvas onto which people threw their own projections and expectations, can you really blame her? Or better yet, should you blame her? In any case, that is entirely up to you. As far as I'm concerned, Rousey was and still is a badass. Sue me. That was it for this special episode of Well Actually. And I guess for someone who hates lists, I sure do get carried away making them, don't I? I hope you enjoyed it, but it's cool if you don't. You're totally entitled to your bad taste. But if you are a cool person who likes cool things, I hope to see you soon here for more MMA and other stuff.